Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Hello, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, May 21st, 2020. And tonight's topic is, again, COVID-19 moratoriums, extensions, and a little bit on court bias, among other things. Last week, I was trying out my new Rode microphone. And from what I'm told and from what I investigated, it appears that nothing was broadcast or recorded, despite an earlier run-through where everything was working perfectly. So I don't know what happened. So I'm back to the old technology until we can figure out what went wrong. I'm pretty sure it was operator error and not the microphone. And by operator, I mean myself. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, and please make a donation to the on the homepage of the Living Lives blog to help us help you. I just had a telephone hearing a couple of hours ago here in Florida where it was clear that the judge was under the impression that she couldn't hear any motion involving foreclosures. Local and state orders are not entirely clear. So before you get all juiced up for a hearing, whether you're a lawyer or just a homeowner, make sure it's still going to be heard and the judge's judicial assistant knows that it's a foreclosure matter and asks specifically, is the judge going to hear this? I, in my case, I waived any objections and I won the hearing. But there was some concern that I could come back and vacate the order as violating the moratorium order. I waived that, too, because I was pretty confident about winning. But it's something you should be aware of. A little housekeeping here. I let it be known that I would consider direct representation of clients in Florida again, Um, potentially in other states as well, if I got permission to do so, only on appeals. I got a flood of requests. And I've started representation in one case so far in Florida, while I continue consulting on other cases throughout the U.S. If you have something you think is an emergency, then please call someone else. Or just order the preliminary document review, which can be converted into a narrative for defense or claims or discovery. So the latest foreclosure news item relates to the story I just told you. Governor DeSantis in Florida extended the eviction and foreclosure moratorium through May, which I think is ice in the winter. I think it's June 2nd, to be precise. 
And there are local orders from individual judges and chief judges, so be careful to check if you've got pending cases um, in, any, in any state where foreclosures are being litigated. Beware. The pandemic increases the likelihood that foreclosure foreclosures will increase. There is going to be a tidal wave. The foreclosure tracks will be greased by the employment of electronic filings and appearances. The right to be heard may be at even greater risk than the so-called rocket docket, which all happened because of the silent doctrines and resulting bias of the court, which I'll talk about in a minute. Courts still proceed as though they understand securitization when they clearly do not understand this most basic fact, that no transaction with any homeowner has ever resulted in shares of the homeowner obligation being sold to any investor. Never happened. There is no forgiveness of debt, even with a moratorium. When the moratorium expires, the entire amount that was claimed as due is still due and payable, although penalties might be waived. If you want forbearance, you have to ask for it. And if a company claiming to be a servicer grants it to you, it is without it, it's it is with apparent authority, and it's probably binding, even if they had no real authority. Forbearance is an agreement in which part of the amount that they claim is due is now subject to new terms of payment. That could involve catching up by next month, next year, or add on to the end of the loan like in a modification. None of this is automatic. And even asking for it or agreeing to it is a tacit admission that the party to whom you address the request has the authority to consider it, which if it involves anything, any, any transaction in which they're claiming it's a securitized loan, there is no authority to consider it. There's no authority. There's no ownership. And, Again, I'll state, I understand that this is counterintuitive. That means, by definition, that it doesn't make sense to the average person from their everyday experience. That's exactly what the investment banks on Wall Street have been counting on and what they've been winning on since they started the scheme 20 years ago, or more than 20 years ago. No transaction with any homeowner has ever resulted in shares of the homeowner obligation being sold to investors. It never happens. It should happen, but it doesn't. Everybody thinks it happens, but it doesn't happen. Your loan has not been sold to any investor. There has been an illusion created by a pile of paperwork that it was sold but there was never any transaction in which that actually happened. And that's why for years you've had servicers and investment banks and, who, and, and God knows what 
paying hundreds of billions of dollars in damages, sanctions, penalties, etc., for fabricating documents. Why did they have to fabricate the documents? Because there were no transactions. Investors get paid regardless of whether the homeowner makes payment or not. They, investors get paid as long as the investment banks decide in their sole discretion to pay them. And the investment banks can stop any time. Whether the investor gets paid or not is not a function of whether you make a payment on your loan. But it sure looks like that with the paperwork that they produce. And that's what makes litigation so difficult. Instead of taking the opportunity to review complaints about the process of foreclosure and eviction, the governor of Florida is issuing an order that all but assures that the foreclosures will continue to be regarded as valid, as though they are based on true facts about the status of the claimed debt, the ownership of the debt, and the authority to collect, administer, and enforce the debt. The elephant in the living room is that none of these so-called securitized transactions are actually treated as securitization schemes. Lawyers come to court and say, Your Honor, this is a standard foreclosure. No, it isn't. And not even the foreclosure mill lawyers say it is after they make that statement. They go through a whole process of, of explaining to the court how the current named claimant or plaintiff, if it's a judicial state, is the right party to be bringing this action. And they do so by showing the court only bits and pieces of the so-called securitization process Whereas if they showed the court the whole process, it would be obvious that the original transaction with the homeowner was not a loan. It was a payment in exchange for getting the securitization scheme started. And the moratorium, such as it is, still leaves homeowners under the exact same cloud, maybe worse, the same cloud of claims faced with the same foreclosures by the same people who have no financial stake in the foreclosure, in the loan. All they have, the only financial stake they have is the expectation of profit. Securitization is complicated and very sophisticated to be sure, but neither homeowners nor their attorneys need to be financial experts to try these cases and win. I've done it. Other lawyers have done it. It can be done. And the lawyers who want to get into the weeds here can make a lot of money, not only by winning the defense of the foreclosure, but by then turning around and suing the parties involved for making a false claim and abusing the foreclosure process in court or abusing the foreclosure process the, the stat, state statutory scheme for non-judicial foreclosure. 
All you need to do is reveal through litigation and in particular discovery that there is no legal claim presented. Most people are afraid to go down that route. That's why they lose so often. I go down that route all the time. There are other lawyers in the country. They go down that route all the time. They win, not all the time. No guarantees when you go to litigation. But I'd say reliably, at least two-thirds of the time, actually, in my case, probably a little higher, we win, even with judges that are completely what you would consider biased against us. They rule for us. Once we make the right challenges and do it in the correct and timely manner. You do that by showing that nobody in the mix of persons and companies that are part of the foreclosure scheme, none of them report or record any asset that is receivable owing from the homeowner. If none of them own it, then none of them have a financial interest or loss in which they can place a claim. Now, the biggest mistake I see lawyers and homeowners doing is they're afraid to ask that question. They don't really, when they ask the question, who owns my debt, they don't really pursue it because they're afraid to get, they'll get an answer. I'm here to tell you, you will never get an answer because the securitization process as it is currently practiced and has been practiced for over 20 years eliminates the position of the creditor. That sounds crazy, I know, but that's only because the repayment of the money or the payment of money from the homeowner is a fraction of the entire scheme. And whether they get it or they don't get it is almost, not quite, but almost irrelevant. They make their money on security, securitization. Securitization is the creation, issuance, sale, trading, and hedging of, of new securities. It's like printing money. That, without securitization, you wouldn't have had a loan. Without securitization, the investors would have nothing to invest in. The whole scheme was securitization. You aren't told about it. I think you're due a credit for part of those profits since it wasn't disclosed to you, and I think there's adequate support from that for that in both federal and state lending laws and federal and state business laws requiring fair dealing and honesty. Understanding some basic aspects of securitization is only helpful in giving the attorney some confidence when he asks what seem to be dumb questions. Like, for example, does this debt exist? Well, if you look at it from one end of the tube, of course it exists. The homeowner got the money, and he agreed to pay money. So how could the debt not exist? But let's go around and look at the other end of the tube. Well, Let's ask the creditor. What? There is no creditor. Well, how could you have a debt without a creditor? Well, the answer to that is what they did is probably illegal 
but it is most certainly extra legal. There is no legal basis for doing that. And so there is no legal basis for enforcing a debt in the absence of a creditor. That is an absolutely true statement that is universally true. Could that be changed? Could the law be, be changed? Yes, but not by the courts. And if they were going to change the law, they would have to change a lot of things. They would have to disclose to investors all the money that's being made by the investment bank as an intermediary. They would have to disclose to borrowers, here's what we're going to make as soon as you sign those documents. And it would require revealing the source of income, like the yield spread premium that occurs when the investor puts up $1,000 and, they, and the investment bank only lends out $500 at a higher interest rate than what they have to pay the investor. The other $500, they pocket. When you don't get an answer, then you have the leverage because there's no judge that isn't going to wonder why they can't answer a simple question about who owns the loan and where are the records? Now, they'll try to substitute a so-called services records, but that's the payment history. It's not the bookkeeping records of a creditor who's holding the debt as an asset. So if you pursue it, you have a, a growing likelihood of success in court. If you don't pursue it, like everybody else, you're probably going to lose. Being right is not enough in litigation. You must drill the point home. It wasn't really a loan. There is no loan, and so there could not have been a loan default. That sounds crazy, right? Crazier than a so-called rat in a... So, in a, in a in a so-called house. I won't use the terms. Probably shouldn't have mentioned it. No loan, no loan default. You know you got the money. You know you didn't make a payment that you promised to pay. How could there be no loan default? Can't be a loan default if there is no creditor. It can't be a debt if there is no creditor. Now, if they want to reform the securitization plan such that a designee can be, claim to be a creditor and the legislature is willing to cast that designee as being a lawful creditor, fine. But right now, none of that has happened. Nobody sought to reform the securitization process. And no legislature has said that in securitization, any of the um, uh, agents of the investment bank can simply designate a party who thenceforth will become and, and be treated as though they are a creditor, even though they don't own the debt. The courts frequently ignore the fact that under Article 9, Section 203 of the Uniform Commercial Code, the claimant must have paid value for the debt. 
which it must in order to be the owner of the debt, because only someone who has suffered actual financial injury can bring a claim for foreclosure. If you don't own the debt, you can't say you were injured by non-payment. That's black-letter law, converted to gray because of court bias. People like myself, who really know securitization, understand perfectly well that the whole point was to extinguish the debt contemporaneously with the origination of it. Again, sounds crazy, but it made a lot of sense, and it made a lot of money. Because to the investment banks, it wasn't a loan. It was a payment in exchange for rights to resell private information. And more importantly, it was payment for issuing the notes and mortgages that could be shown holographically to exist and thus justify the creation, issue, and sale, trading, and hedging of unregulated securities. By fueling securitization, they were fueling the ability to print money. Come on, folks. Do you really think that there would have been a transaction with the homeowner without the sale of securities? Do you really think the sale of securities would have occurred without the creation of documents bearing the label saying it was a loan? Separating the sale of securities from the transactions with homeowners is like severing the fingers from the hand. It can be done, but not without a lot of pain and a lot of disfigurement. So for all the pain and disfigurement that has been suffered by homeowners, I say the pain should be shared. There's plenty of blame to go around. Keeping the investment banks out of it is giving a free pass to a tiger in a crowded theater. It's time to bring them back into view where the control of the investment banks is revealed and their profits are revealed, you will find that their profits are on average 12 times the amount of a loan, eight times the amount of any investment by any investor. Profits that never would have occurred but for the signature of homeowners on those origination documents. How much was that signature worth? I think more than the amount that the homeowner got particularly in view of the fact that they had to promise to pay the money back in an amount higher than what they received. So they never got anything for originating the securitization process. Under quantum merit, they are entitled to money. That's my opinion. I'll be testing that this year. Court and other lawyers should do the same. I'm pretty sure I'm right, not only in theory, but that courts will see the light if it's revealed in the way that I just described. Presentation is everything. Court bias results from what's called a, in Latin a sub silentio doctrine, sub silence which is the subject of tonight's radio show. It explains how and why the courts are getting it wrong almost every time. It isn't because judges are out to get homeowners or because they've been bought off by the banks. It's because almost nobody is taking the time or energy to present the whole transaction to the court. If it isn't presented, the judge has no power to rule on the larger transaction. It's not up to the court to guess at the possible reasons why the claim should be denied. 
It's bias, but not the kind you're thinking about. It's the kind of bias that simply occurs because a person is human and he's pulling from his everyday experiences. Subsilentio decisions are silent decisions where something is stated or assumed only because of an unspoken or unstated assumption of fact. The assumptions of fact we're dealing with here basically um, are based on the unfounded erroneous fact that the forced sale of the home will pay creditors who own the debt. So everybody's assuming that if you sell the home uh, to some third party and you get money for it, that that money is going to go to somebody who paid for the debt. It never happens that way. If the transaction was claimed to be a securitized loan, the whole point is for it not to happen that way. In other words, the sale proceeds will be used to reduce the debt. That's what everybody thinks. The debt is never reduced, not by payment of monthly payments, not by foreclosure, not by anything, because there is no debt to reduce because there's no creditor that has that debt on their books as an asset. Silent, the, the silent doctrine is the product of a combination of assumptions by many judges creating their own reality as though everybody knows something is true. In this case, all judges know it, that it is true that all foreclosures of loans claimed to be securitized result in payment to creditors. This is demonstrably not true, but actually impossible based upon the documents created and executed by the banks. They don't want it to happen. It doesn't happen. They won't let it happen. My finding and conclusion is that all assumptions, admissions, and allegations that I've examined in most courts across the country have been erroneously interpreted. The, the, the true facts assumed do not meet the, the, the real facts in life. They are wrong. Courts have not been presented with the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and as a result tend to rule based upon partial data, erroneous assumptions, and the erroneous application of legal presumptions when a full file on the merits would reveal something far more complex but manageable. The end result is the current hodgepodge of decisions, rulings, and so-called doctrines that fail to address the true intent of the parties. The intent of the investment banks was not to create a loan. It was to create the securitization scheme. The intent of the borrower was to create a loan, but the borrower never found out, at least in time, that the party with whom they thought they were doing business was not their lender. So at all times, the borrower was thinking, well, this lender is regulated, when in fact, the so-called lender was effectively not regulated because it was a thinly capitalized entity that was getting money from the investment bank, and as soon as anything went bad, wham, bankrupt, gone. 
So the investment banks were creating these so-called loan products while at the same time they were making sure that they couldn't be liable for lender violations. The courts have adopted a tacit consensus judicial doctrine that enlarges the requirements for filing and pursuing judicial foreclosures beyond the statutory beyond the statutory conditions preceding for filing such an action. The doctrine requires ultra vires, in other words, beyond the authority of the court, judicial action in which the state statute adopting Article 9, Section 203 of the UCC is rewritten for purposes of foreclosure actions only. The inherent logical and legal problems with the doctrine are obvious and have no doubt contributed to the lack of articulation on the doctrine. Well, that's all I have time for tonight. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week with more news and more analysis. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.